Welcome back to the Business Digest. As part of an enlightening podcast network, we're here to ignite your curiosity and inspire continuous learning. Join us as we explore the vast universe of business, unveiling a new, hand-picked, bite-sized gem of journalism in each episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Blogcast, your personalized audio feed available on iPhone and Android. In today's episode, we explore the crucial role of self-awareness in personal and professional growth. We present It All Starts With You, The First Step Always Begins With You by Charlene Norman, where she emphasizes the importance of understanding ourselves before embarking on any journey of success. By recognizing our strengths, weaknesses, and values, we can make informed decisions and take purposeful actions. So whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur or a seasoned professional, this article will inspire you to embark on a journey of self-discovery. Let's dive in. It All Starts With You by Charlene Norman. Thus far, I've shared with you how the world is finally changing, how what the older generations have long supported is quickly crumbling, what my definition of a real leader is, how we must get over this long-held view that human beings are freaking assets and just treat our fellow humans like we treat our cherished friends. Because we leaders are first and foremost responsible for the health and the well-being of one another, and then second, for the results, outcomes, and goals we are paid to deliver. I will admit I have laid out a huge dollop of change your thinking now, and I am positive that some of you are shaking your head in total disbelief. So today, let's begin exploring how you can go about implementing some of this as it pertains in your life. Remember I said early on that leaders are born and molded and managers are made? Well, here's why I believe this is so. Every single human has the capacity for greatness, but no one human has the capacity for greatness in everything. Some are good at analysis. Some are good at innovation or creativity. Some are simply awesome at making quality. Some are good at arguing or debating. And in my experience, every single human is damn good at something. So for that simple reason, we are all born that way. And over time, as we pile more experience onto our bodies, we mold those talents into a level of exceptional. And here's the thing. Each person joins his or her own minority. Within each sphere of brilliance that we fall in, there is, if we are lucky, only about 10% of the population. And this is what I mean. Brilliant writers, 10% of the population of writers. Awesome lawyers, 10% of the population of all lawyers. Terrific teachers, again, 10% of the population. Stellar, what have you, it doesn't matter. It's still only 10% of the population. Now think of all the amazing leaders you have run into in your life. And I guarantee you, they fall into the 10% of the population. Everyone else falls somewhere in the 90% bracket. And the turn me into an amazing whatever I want to be is a gazillion dollar business. And that is why I say managers are made and leaders are born and molded. So many of us want to be part of the leadership class, but realistically, no matter how much money we invest in ourselves 
or how invested in us, we simply won't get out of the manager track. And that's okay because the world needs managers and because for most, their brilliance is not in leading. I was born an incredibly bossy little girl. Oh, what a leader you are. I heard this all the time. Well, believe me, in those days, it was not something little girls were encouraged to do or be. But here's the thing. I was not born a great leader. When I was 25, I was put on the fast track career path and given a staff of 10. After my first three months, my favorite team members called a meeting for seven o'clock after everyone had gone home. And this is what they told me. Shar, we think you're a very nice person. But as a manager and as a leader, you suck. They then spent the next 45 minutes telling me what I did wrong and how if I did not fix my flaws, they were going to walk out on me. Man, all the wind went out of me. Talk about devastation. I tried hard to keep a straight face and, and I thanked them. And then I went home and poured myself a glass of wine and sat and stewed. Eventually, I decided to fix the problem and become the best leader I had ever met. Fast forward 25, yes, I said two five years later. It was my last day as the general manager of a very successful production facility. I went around and said goodbye to all 125 associates. Nearly everyone cried on my shoulder. Apparently, they respected and loved me so much, they believed that no one had heard understood, and made them better than I. I had led that team to greatness. Ordinary people delivering extraordinary results. And that day I realized I had become the leader I set out to be 25 years ago. Now I share this little story for two reasons. First, if you're going to change anyone in their behavior, you have to tap into their deepest desires. You must make it personal. The main reasons I changed my behavior was because I did not ever again want to be chewed up by my staff and because I decided I wanted to be awesome in the leadership department. It was entirely about me. Second, all leaders start with a kernel of something. I can assure you that the best leaders want to improve. They want to raise their game. They want to raise the bar. It's not that they have to improve, they want to, and they will do anything, move mountains, commit a million percent to reach what they want. Now, you know all those bosses that you've had or seen over the years? Well, how many do you know that follow the orders to get better because it goes with the job or it's part of the program or it's a necessary thing? Well, sure, they might wax poetic about how great they're becoming or super awesome in what they're doing. But that's a manager's attitude. A leader gets on with it, accepts it, never brags about it, and lets his or her actions show it. And since we both know that you want to be in the awesome category, the 10% minority, I want to give you some tips on how to make room in your schedule to actually do the work an awesome leader does. First, the work part. Isn't it funny how every single person who becomes a new manager says, 
oh my God, this is so great. I'm so excited. I get to finally slack off and give orders and have my staff do all the work for me. Yay, I have arrived. Every successful leader must demonstrate he or she cares. Every hour of every day of every week. How do you do this? You ask questions. You listen. You teach. You encourage. You applaud. In short, you demonstrate over and over and over that you are a million times behind or a million times beside your people. That you expect the impossible and that you will move heaven and earth to help all your direct reports get there. That's a little bit different than, oh, yeah, I arrived, isn't it? And yes, this does take up a crap ton of time in your jam-packed day. And some of you might be asking, so just how much time? Well, it takes, it takes up so much time. The not-so-smart leaders get used to working late or taking work home because you still got to do the stuff you don't have time to do in your day, right? That's what the not-so-smart leaders think. Our days become so bogged down and overloaded, we end up working double shifts and far too many hours. And if you're not super smart, you can spend eight hours a day dealing with people and then another four to eight hours afterward trying to do all the work you actually get paid for. And that, in a nutshell, my friends, is one of the many ways so many executives work outrageous hours. They put the emphasis on the wrong thing. So let me say this. When you become a leader, it is not about doing two jobs, your own work and managing others. It's about finding the right balance. A bloody difficult thing to start, a beautiful thing when it goes right. When you have a team, your first, second, and only priority is to the team not your own work activities, the team. Because the team is what's going to get you to where you want to go. Full stop. Think of those team members. Think of those team members as your cherished friends. And now let's talk about making it all work. First, you have to have a big to-do list. I know we all have huge to-do lists. We also know that the big to-do list will never, ever, ever be completed. Stuff's going to go on the list. Stuff's going to come off the list. But the list always grows. It never shrinks, right? Well, the trick is to manage that to-do list. So how do you do that? Methodically. Look at your priorities for the year. Yeah, the year. You have somewhere between five and ten big goals. If you have more than that, you need to rethink your list because you're never going to get it all accomplished. So take that list and organize it by priority. First, second, third, A, B, C, this month, next month, thereafter. Use the best priority organization system that works for you. The whole point is to put each one of these big goals into the appropriate month and the appropriate category of urgency. For me, I live and die by my calendar. If I put it in my calendar, it gets done. If it's not on my calendar, it doesn't get done. You might prefer using an app or Evernote or project management software or just carry around a piece of paper or a notebook. 
It actually doesn't matter what you do or how you do it. What matters the most is that you prioritize your list and you keep that list close. Now, once you've organized your goals into months and then by level of priority, now you look at the list and decide who is going to get it done. Yes, you are responsible for getting it done, but you don't have to be the person who does it all. This is what your team is for. So match up the goals with who has the natural ability to do the tasks, who wants to be challenged, who has the capacity to take on more. And for goodness sake, don't give away all the shitty stuff and keep all the good stuff. Share the wealth, will you? Now you want to prepare your discussions with each staff member. What? Remember I said when you want to change the behavior of anyone or get things done, you need to make it personal? Well, the amazing leaders successfully sell all the duties, which means you figure out your selling messages or match the hot buttons to each person. Make sure you address the WIFM factor, the what's in it for me factor of each team member. As a leader, you must have several discussions with each team member. And I'll cover off the types of conversations in other episodes, but Right now, just know some discussions will be short and some will be long. The time you invest with your team members should be a goodly amount of time. Invest in that time. It will take as long as it takes. Your objective is to let your team members see that you have their interests in your heart and that you are constantly aligning their wants with your organization's needs. And you want to let them know at which point you will catch them if they start to wobble. You want to work together with them to develop the checkpoints that you want to read in on. Help them, if necessary, develop a schedule of when they will check back in. Then stand back and let them execute for you. Delegate as much authority as you can, plus some more. Then stay the hell out of their way but always let them know you have their back. Yes, you can certainly informally check in and cheer them on. And yes, you're going to have to reorganize your own workloads to accommodate when things go off the rails. And yes, you're going to come up with ideas about how you want them to manage you. All this is very normal. But I really want to emphasize something. Once you clearly articulate and then delegate the work. Stay the hell out of their way. Nobody, regardless of stature, wants to be micromanaged. But everyone loves to manage their boss. So you set it up that way. Now look at your goals and realistically look at the remaining work you have. Organize your workday and set aside half of your day for people issues. That leaves you four to five hours of single, solitary work that you can do every day. Prioritize the tasks that you have. Start on the must-get-dones immediately. Set yourself 60 or 90-minute time frames that you must get shit done in. And then alternate those periods with 60 minutes of people time. Variety really is the spice of life. So here's the thing, when you spend Sunday night or Monday morning organizing and prioritizing your time for the week, you will find that your most important stuff always gets done. But you can also watch 
the stuff that slides. About once a month, really analyze the stuff that's not getting done and determine if it's a nice to have or a need to have, and you will know what you need to do. Of course, I've made it sound blissfully easy, haven't I? Just follow this approximate schedule and it'll all get done magically, right? And what about all those damn emergencies that crop up every single day? They never disappear, do they? So here's the thing. You will have good days, productive days, and bad days or unproductive days. All of this is normal. Some days you're going to be able to leave early. Other days you're going to have to stay late. The worst thing you can do to yourself is to focus on the bad stuff. Try and focus on all the good. Focus on the good people you have. Focus on showing you care and creating the best environment. That is what matters. Shift your mindset from all work to all people. Now, this is not necessarily super easy to do. It's not difficult. And it will be your lifeline. It's going to save your sanity and it will help you accomplish more from your team and from yourself. I promise. Because it all starts with you. Catch you on the next blogcast. If you enjoyed this, you may also like our other podcasts, The Psychology Digest, The Technology Digest, The Self-Improvement Digest, and Daily Business News. Stay curious, stay inspired, and thanks for listening.